I'm Andrew Smith, and this is Today in Church History, a place where we're reminded that history is truly his story. History is the story of God and the demonstration of his glory in the theater of world events. Today is Friday, May 22, 2020. But on this day in history, May 22, 1377, John Wycliffe was issued five papal bulls by Pope Gregory XI. In total, there were 18 charges of heresy leveled against Wycliffe, in which he was referred to as the master of errors. Born in 1330, on a sheep farm far from London, almost 200 years before the Reformation, Wycliffe was trained at Oxford University. He pastored in several parishes, perhaps most notably Lutterworth, but was mainly noteworthy for being a theologian. He was an ardent student of Scripture as well as the Church Fathers, even commenting, and I quote, I am ready to defend my convictions even unto death. I have followed the sacred Scriptures and the Holy Doctors, end quote. Clearly, Wycliffe was not guilty of heresy, nor was he afraid of the political machinery of the papacy. Two works, one entitled The Church, The Truth of Scripture, and the second entitled The Power of the Pope, both written in Latin, were written in the year 1377. There, Wycliffe argued that Scripture alone was the basis for establishing any doctrine for the Church, to which no ecclesiastical authority might lawfully add, and that the authority of the Pope was ill-founded in Scripture. Wycliffe also attacked the doctrine of transubstantiation in his work simply entitled The Eucharist, in which he argued, and I quote, The bread, while becoming by virtue of Christ's words the body of Christ, does not cease to be bread, end quote. Wycliffe also refused to yield on the church's unbiblical teaching regarding indulgences. There, Wycliffe argued, It is plain to me that our prelates in granting indulgences do commonly blaspheme the wisdom of God. On saying your sins to a priest... Well, Wycliffe returned yet again to the principle of sola scriptura, remarking quite simply, and I quote, Private confession was not ordered by Christ and was not used by the apostles. While promoting the idea of sola scriptura, Wycliffe also promoted the concept of sola fide, stating, and I quote, Trust wholly in Christ, rely altogether on his sufferings, beware of seeking to be justified in any other way than by his righteousness, end quote. For his day, such assertions were both novel and dangerous. But for Wycliffe, these issues were as black and white as the pages of a Bible. Speaking of the Bible, Wycliffe also stirred things up by working on an English translation of Scripture with the help of a friend. But the church opposed this as well, saying, and I quote, By this translation, the Scriptures have become vulgar, and they are more available to lay, even to women who can read, than they were to learned scholars who have high intelligence. So, they said, the pearl of the gospel is scattered and trodden underfoot by swine, end quote. But Wycliffe calmly replied, again operating according to Sola Scriptura, Englishmen learned Christ's law best in English. Moses heard God's law in his own language. So did Christ's apostles. But these public proclamations against the papacy and church leaders cost him substantially both financially and scholastically. Wycliffe was not popular among the other scholars at Oxford, but for a few. His words against transubstantiation were the tipping point when in 1381 the university condemned his teachings. Wycliffe was forced out of a university job, which in God's providence was actually good, because it placed him among the common people in the parish of Lutterworth. There in Lutterworth, Wycliffe edited some of his works and produced a fiery compilation of prolific pamphlets continuing to denounce the false teaching of his day, including naming false teachers themselves within the church. Wycliffe's sermons in both English and Latin were energetic by all standards of the day and also revealed the urgency of his deep conviction. 
A group of disciples named Lollards perpetuated his teachings even after Wycliffe's death. They too made sacrifices for truth like their leader. The lesson of Wycliffe is, if you want to stand for truth in a day in which truth is hard to find, it will require, first of all, standing against mainstream, trendy church teachings of the day. Second, it will cost you scholastically, financially, and personally with regard to your reputation. And third, you will be sidelined by the powerful church bosses of major denominations and even schools. But it will be worth it because God uses bold men like John Wycliffe. One resource I used for my research for this podcast concluded its thoughts of Wycliffe by dealing him a low blow, except for those who love scripture and all the pre-reformers and reformers and all they stood for, it's actually considered a compliment. It said Wycliffe's ideas, and I quote, were not original and can be compared with the similar views of contemporary European reformers. Now that's a compliment. Wycliffe wasn't original when it came to doctrine. He simply taught the Bible. He operated according to the quote-unquote non-creative principle of sola scriptura. The church today needs preachers who are not creative but convictional, those who stand for the truth once for all handed down to the saints, ones who do so boldly, ones who are committed to their pastorate and trust the ordinary means of grace for a reformation. Such is what will spring a reformation in our own day, such is what always springs a reformation. Today, even seminaries confessing to be reformed, conservative, and orthodox may be proving otherwise. Where do we turn when those we have trusted for so many years are being influenced by unbiblical teachings? Well, God's people must turn to the pulpit. God's people must jettison their trust in the trendy and relevant ecclesiastical methods of the day. God's people must repent of their neglect of Scripture as well as Reformed confessionalism. Preachers must, as Wycliffe said, return to the study of the sacred Scriptures and the Holy Fathers. History matters. Scripture matters. And the way that truth has been handed down to us, untainted, matters. Forty-three years after his death, Wycliffe's body was exhumed and his remains burned. His ashes were thrown into the river Swift. They may have gotten rid of his body, but not his soul. Wycliffe is alive today in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. As for his teachings, they continue to spread. As a later historian observed, Thus the brook hath conveyed his ashes into Avon, Avon into Severn, Severn into the narrow seas, and they into the main ocean. And thus, the ashes of Wycliffe are the emblem of his doctrine which now is dispersed the world over. This morning star of the Reformation needs a second coming, not literally, of course, but symbolically. Preachers must rise and preach truth regardless of the cost. They must have the spirit of John Wycliffe. Such must happen if the morning star of a new Reformation is to appear on the horizon. You've been listening to Today in Church History. To access more podcasts, you can go to my website, www.heartaflame.org. There you'll find sermons, other articles, and other podcasts that are archived. Until next time, this is Andrew Smith.